Gateway, good to be here with you in the second week of Advent, a series that we're just calling Practicing Perspective. And Advent itself is a season where we get to wait on the Lord's coming, and we don't wait as others do in terms of the Lord's first coming, because He has come to us. We also are waiting for His second coming, and and thus the the practicing of perspective. And we are reading the second New Testament text. Uh, This is 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 15. And this is what we read. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destructions of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote, you with the wisdom that God gave him. May God add a blessing to his word. NYU professor Neil Postman in his book, Amusing Ourselves to Death, uh, which is the seminal work on how TV affects our culture, uh, he, he coined this phrase, low information to action ratio. And as he goes on to unpack this phrase, low information to action ratio, uh, he says this, the tie between information and action has been severed. Information is now a commodity that can be bought and sold or used as a form of entertainment or worn like a garment to enhance one's status. It comes indiscriminately, directed at no one in particular, disconnected from usefulness. We are glutted with information, drowning in information, have no control over it, don't know what to do with it. Well, welcome to church today. just here to encourage you that we know everything that we can do nothing about, and we know nothing about which we can do everything about. (laughs) That's essentially what Postman is getting at. In other words, we are overloaded with information, so much so that we rarely do anything with what we know. Uh, This simply will not do if we are to follow Jesus of Nazareth in a season such as this. Because the way of Jesus is just that. It is a way of living, a way of life. See, following Jesus is more than just a a constellation of moral and ethical beliefs. It's not just affirmations of faith. See, it's our lived experience. At its core, following Jesus is about living into our new life with Jesus. And let's just remember Jesus' stark words at the end of his seminal work, the Sermon on the Mount. 
he, he said at the end of that teaching that those who hear his teaching, who hear his words and do not put them into practice, that they're like people who build their lives on sinking sand. In, in the days of trouble, which certainly will come, that their lives will not be able to stand. They will be wiped out from beneath their feet. Therefore, the call of Jesus is to receive his wisdom with the intention of actually embodying it, or as he says it, to put it into practice. No doubt, embodying the way of Jesus is not without tension. There's tensions inside of us, tensions outside of us. I mean, we we have our own habits and attachments that are pulling us deeper inward. It's what Augustine called incurvatus, the inward turn of the soul. So we have those things going on within, and then from without, we have influencers and persuasive advertisers that are pulling us in their own way. All the while, God in Christ is calling us to be with him, to become like him, to do what he would do if he were in our shoes. So there is this tension, a tension that we are being pulled in multiple directions and God is calling out to us. See, for this reason, especially during Advent, which is a season of waiting on Jesus' revealing, we must practice perspective, and specifically God's perspective, which takes a great measure of effort and intentionality. I don't know if you've tried to do this recently, to sit from wherever you are and see the world as God sees it. It's rather difficult. In, in fact, if you want, you can just like press pause right now and give it a go. It is challenging. And so as we come to our teaching text today, this reality, the, the tension is thrust in front of us. The, the Apostle Peter, in what's considered to be one of the latest New Testament letters, addresses a community who knows what it is to follow Jesus. And yet, the lives they live are severed from the witness they received, severed from what they know to be true. I mean, just listen, before our teaching text, in, back in chapter 1, verse 16, this is how Peter addresses this community. He says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths, when we may know to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And this isn't saying like we were eyewitnesses of his majesty like they talk about across the pond, his, his majesty or her majesty, the queen. No, this is the majestic reality of Jesus. Peter lived with, denied, was reconciled to God in Christ, preached the most beautiful of sermons about the pouring out of God's presence on all people. This is Peter. This is the witness he has. In fact, it was Peter's witness that God saw fit to leverage amongst these people to bring new life in Jesus' name, life that broke out across generations, women and men who indeed put the way of Jesus into practice. They were loving God and neighbor as they would want to be loved. They were doing this thing called following Jesus with grace and compassion. They were denying themselves the whole thing. And despite the beauty of new life and their freedom from bondage to sin, the teachers rose up from within their own community who questioned Peter's witness. See, generations have come and generations have gone. And, and they lived lives where they really thought they were on the threshold of God's coming kingdom. 
And this is, this is, we're just going to pause here and talk about that. What does it mean to be on the threshold of God's coming kingdom? See, if we think about Peter's witness in, in his first sermon in, in uh, the Acts of the Apostles, he appeals to the prophet Joel. And he talks about the day, like these last of days. Well, Peter saw himself in the last of days when God's spirit would be poured out on all flesh, male, female, Jew, Gentile, like slave, free, that all flesh would, be in, would have this dynamic relationship with God through the power of the spirit. Peter saw himself that way. Paul saw himself, the apostle Paul saw himself living in the last days. We then are there as well. They were at the start of it. We're at wherever we are at. We are on the threshold with all of the saints, on the threshold of God's kingdom. But there were people in Peter's day who were saying, not going to happen. They were casting aspersions on Jesus' return to make all things new. And, And with daggers hidden in their words, they were severing their lives from what they knew to be true. They were severing their lives from the witness of Peter. And into that tension, Peter injects these words in verse 9. Go back there with me. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. See, they, they held this idea that, that God's vision of time was their vision of time. Peter goes on, though, because that's not the case. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. See, in a a community for whom the wisdom of Jesus was being labeled as foolish, Peter creates this space for these women and men to practice perspective. And he, he does so by appealing to God's patience, not once, but twice. Just jump down to the end of the teaching text right there in verse 15, where Peter says this, bear in mind, that, that is, keep this in the front of your mind at all times. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. In essence, Peter is saying, this is not a matter of you needing to be patient with God. This is God's patience with you. God's patience is then therefore the space of our integration. To to be clear, I'm I'm defining patience as Peter does. Uh, Patience is this, it's a posture of withholding for others' goods. It's a posture of withholding either our anger or our satisfaction for others' good. And I get this from the way uh, that, that Peter talks about it and specifically the word that he uses in Greek, which is the language the New Testament was originally written in. And the word that Peter uses is this word macrothumia, a, a word that when the translators and scholars of the King James Version, perhaps the version of the Bible you cut your teeth on, uh, when they were commissioned to translate the Bible into the King's English, uh, they translated macrothumia as long-suffering. See, long-suffering or patience is the withholding of anger. It is to suffer long. In, in the Hebrew, this is, that this draws on this, it's, it's uh, erikapayim, it's long of nose. How great is that? When God is, is called to be slow to anger or long suffering, they're talking about he has long of two nostrils, <laughs> erikapayim. In other words, you and me, the, the community that Peter wrote to, we are the ones We are the ones with whom God is long-suffering. He is the one who withholds his anger for our good. And I think that we need to hear this because though we 
we know about patience, we are not, generally speaking, patient people. We, we want what we want when we want it. And the crazy thing is that in the modern world, the late modern West, we actually get it most of the time. You see, despite this, despite this almost instant gratification, we continue to say things like this to one another. You're really testing my patience right now. Or, or, or maybe this one is a bit more in your wheelhouse. My patience is wearing thin with you right now. I like this one doesn't even use the word patience. I've had it about up to here with you. I, I got that one a lot growing up. I don't know. It was like, like what increment do we even measure that? Up to here, here. It was great when it was above the head, like, okay. So the irony is that those passive aggressive statements, those usually go to the people that we love the most in the world. <laughs> Just think about what happens to your patients when it's with a stranger. Like, what goes on then? Or, or worse yet, a stranger who's just offended you. Or how about this one? Worse, worse still, or the, the worstest? I don't think that's a word. You decide. Uh, think about your strained patience, not with a stranger, but with a group of strangers. How about like a political party? What happened just a few weeks ago? Like in that space, we leave the passive behind and we go straight to aggressive. Like we do not withhold our anger. But the point again is that God does. Though we know about patience, when our patience is even strained in the smallest way, it's clear that the connection between what we know and how we live has been severed. And as we sit here today, we desperately need to hear Peter's words. That the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, and hear this, instead, he is patient with you. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. He wants everyone to turn to God in Christ. See, God's patience is then our opportunity for restoration. It's our opportunity for salvation. Do you see how beautiful this is? See, this is why Peter then reminds us that the waiting is a gift. It's not a curse. And this is so fascinating. As I, as I dove into this, time and time again, I would be brought back by the apostles or the prophets or the writers of the Bible to God's character specifically revealed in one spot. Exodus 34, 6 and 7. And I don't think it's any mistake that I would be brought back there time and time again because this is the most quoted verse in the Bible by the Bible for a good reason. Just, just listen to how God reveals God's self. Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. Yahweh, Yahweh, a compassionate God and gracious, slow to anger, an abundant in loyal love and faithfulness, keeper of loyal love for thousands, forgiver of iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet, he will surely not clear the guilty. Visitor of the iniquity of the fathers upon sons and the sons and sons upon the third and fourth generations. See, sandwiched between God's compassion and graciousness, and his loyal love and faithfulness is the long-suffering of God, the, the Eric Apaim of God. This is the hinge upon which God's character swings, his, his ability to withhold his anger. And now I understand that for some of us, uh, that itself, name it like an angry God, 
that drums up all sorts of curious emotions. We uh, have some serious intellectual hiccups and hangups around an angry God. Perhaps even like barriers to trust. And as much as I desperately want to chase that rabbit down, um, that's a sermon for another time. Um, if that is a problem for you, please just like email me. I have books that we could read together. Um, but here's my invitation if that indeed is a problem for you. Let's note what God does do with his anger. And let me just, this is just food for thought and a bit of an aside. I guess I am going to chase the rabbit a little bit. Um, if God never got angry, would he be a good God? Just chew on that for a little while. And here's my invitation. Note what God does do with his anger. He withholds his anger for others' good. He withholds his anger for our good. See, according to Peter, God's patience, his long suffering is where our salvation resides. And my point is that the community who abides in God's patience, or maybe you could say it this way, practices the perspective of patience, is, is, the, is the community who is marked by this type of withholding. It's the community who is secure in God's salvation. And when we consider this reality in light of the whole teaching text, this is epic. Check out what I mean. Go with me back to verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. It's unexpected. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Hold on to that point. Verse 11, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming that will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt away in the heat. See, all this language, the language that makes this feel so epic is about God revealing truth. You actually see that at the verse, the end of verse 10 where I said, put your finger there, um, it will be laid bare, or perhaps your translation reads, it will be exposed. See, see the point of this like apocalyptic language, which uh, apocalyptic means revealing. It's not a, it's a genre of literature in the Bible. Think of Daniel has sections of it that is apocalyptic. It is revealing. The whole book of the Revelations, that is itself apocalyptic literature, the revealing of who God is. This fits part and parcel, hand in glove into that. This is really about God revealing what is true. It's about what's actually coming. This is not about the end. This is, this is about the new beginning. And we actually see that in context. You just have to look down to verse 13. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. See, it's not that God is making all new things. It's that he's making all things new. And in that spot, the new heavens and new earth, that is where righteousness dwells. Verse 14, so then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, the space wherein righteousness dwells, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Practice the perspective of God in that way. See, God's patience, his long suffering, it holds the space for our transformation. And that's why Peter brings these words to the church to open that space for our transformation right up to us. 
for us to practice that perspective. And when we do so, we can actually welcome the unexpectedness of God's arrival. Because when we're living in the comfort and covering of his coming, then we can know that regardless of us being on the threshold of his coming, we are secure in his salvation. We can rejoice at the surprise of God's grace and in our anticipation, in our waiting, we who are secure in God's patience, we can actually be patient with one another. I mean, think about, just think about this for a moment. What would your withholding display to the world? Because this passage is itself about waiting and hastening the day, which is weird. Those are contradictory things, Peter. How do we wait and hasten at the same time? We're really good in America at hastening things. Just on to the next thing, moving something around, getting something going. This is what we do. The waiting thing is challenging. So how how do we do both? Well, we actually do it by practicing perspective and we do it by entering into the thought process. So go here with me. What would happen in the world if you withheld? If you withheld? Your child is screaming on the floor. You are embarrassed. You're angry. What do you do? Like what does withholding your anger in that moment do? Politics comes up. It's the holidays. Here we go. And they just said that the election was corrupt and his presidency is illegitimate. You are beyond annoyed at this point. What does withholding your anger do in that moment? You are wronged. Like you're legitimately wronged. What does withholding your anger in that moment do? And I'm not saying this is like, okay, follower of Jesus, um, the call of Peter is just to get trampled on, practice perspective. It's not that at all. And it's also not, get them. Yeah, allow your anger to have its full vent. No, there's a third way. See, the waiting for the unexpected, it it changes the way that we live. It, It changes the way that we love, how we speak, how we act. Like the waiting is actually the space that that God's healing enters in and the severing that we've done between what we know and what we do can be healed by his grace. So we can actually have integration in our lives so that we can not just be, as Jesus's half-brother would say, hearers of the word, but we can be doers of the words also. Think about Peter's question, what kind of people ought you to be? See, when we live in the security of God's patience, It has the power to form us, not just you individually or me individually, but all of us into a community, not only marked by holiness and godliness, but a community who embodies the way of Jesus, who receives his healing to bring together what we've separated. See, to practice perspective, to look at this candle of love that we've lit, and and then to bring this together around what does it mean that we get to bear in mind that the Lord's patience is our salvation? At bare minimum, it means that we actually get to step into that space of transformation. And therein, we, we find ourselves in the tension once again. The tension will persist. The tension between waiting and hastening will persist. So does that just mean 
we throw it all out and like like the the false teachers that are rising up in in 2 Peter do we just say no sensuality is the answer no debauchery is the answer just hey let's just say it this way you do you Je- Jesus loves you regardless of, of yeah he loves you you have freedom in Christ is that the route that we choose is that the third way no the third way is to deny ourselves just as Jesus denied himself. The the, the third way is to look to God in Christ, to the full embodiment of God in the flesh, and to say, how did his withholding benefit me? See, Jesus put off his union with God. He considered it to be nothing and put on flesh. And he was obedient in that space, even to the point of death. Jesus actually gave everything away. He withheld the full vent and then allowed God, allowed God to just, all of that to come onto him and he bore it all for our good. We get to live in the wake of God's goodness revealed to us in Christ. That is the confidence from where we can practice perspective. And so this week, we, we, we teach a sermon like this. We walk through this passage and you know what will happen? This day, your patience will be tested. And the beautiful thing is that you do not have to do it alone. And I'm not just talking about a community of people who are advocating for you. It's bigger than that. It's more beautiful than that. It is God's very personal presence filling you morning, noon, and night with his presence This is the fruit of the Spirit. This is not multiple fruit. This is a singular fruit and one component part is His patience, love and joy and peace and patience. You will be tried in these moments. When we teach on this stuff, it's it's just gonna come up. And I don't think it's just through association with like, oh, I've been thinking more about patience and therefore I've been noticing that I've been tried in these areas. Possibly that and definitely that and moments will come that will test your patience. And so, my invitation to you as we practice this perspective is to withhold. To withhold your anger, to withhold your frustration, perhaps even to withhold the good things for another's good. So let us pray. Let us pray into this. Jesus, we need you. We desire you. Would you come? Would you come hasten the day as we garb ourselves in holiness, as we are blameless, Lord, as we live out of our identity? Would you, Spirit, fill us afresh morning, noon, and night? Would we seek you? Would we seek you, God, to fill us so we might live out of your goodness, out of your love and joy and peace and patience, God? Give us the courage to withhold and, Lord, Give us the courage to be with you, to become like you, to do what you would do if you were us. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray.